The crypto pump continues. We're now 62,000 plus. And if you look at the bubbles, you can see that today a whole new range of tokens has started to explode. You got Axelar up 57%. How many of you took the Axelar trade that we gave the other day? You got the AI tokens up. And I, I mean, I'm happy, but I'm not also happy about that. You got the HEX tokens up. Um, what we're realizing is that this market is moving very, 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 very fast. In fact, much faster than we thought it would move. And in this market, when the market's moving this fast, you need to be in tune with the narratives. So today I've got a very, very, very special show for you guys. I've got a guy who took a couple of million dollars and turned it into a couple of billion dollars in the last bull market. And today we're going to ask him exactly what narratives he would be investing in right now. We'd ask, we're going to ask him how much money he's going to, he would be invested in right now, what percentage of his portfolio he'd be investing in right now, and what his exit plan is later on in the bull market. So crazy, crazy, crazy Friday band. It's a real treat to get Suzu on. Let's do it, guys. I did say that I was happy about the AI coins, but I'm also unhappy about the AI coins because my short is still open and it's starting to burn. My short on, on AGIX is starting to burn. It's $86,000, $85,000 down, as you can see, with it, and I've already taken $27,000 in profits. But I mean, the, the overall portfolio is doing quite well. Our Solana position is doing very well. The rest of our positions are all beautifully in the green. And the bull market continues. The crazy bull market continues. So listen, today we've got a massive show. It's, I mean, a lot of people said to me, why are you getting Suzu on? Guys, Suzu took a couple of million dollars and turned it into a couple of billion dollars. Now, yes, he was over leveraged and eventually the whole, the whole thing fell into a pile. But if you look at what the liquidator has, the, the amount of tokens that the liquidator have from 3 Hours Capital today, creditors will probably be made whole. And that just shows like, that this guy had the magic touch of choosing the right narratives. And I know him and I've spoken to him obviously many times before. And I know that he's got the magic touch when it comes to narratives. This is one of the smartest guys in crypto. And today we're in for an absolute real treat. But before we get into it, I've got to remind you guys, if you're new to crypto, if you haven't already got a VPN, get yourself a VPN. This is not a drill, guys. We're in the bull market now. The, hacker, the hackers are going to get crazy and the authorities are going to want to know where you're surfing from. And when you're surfing, you are exposing your IP address to every single application that you interact with. You can see there's my IP address. It knows exactly where I am, knows exactly who my internet service provider. And you can even use that to track my address. If you want to make sure that you keep your address safe, get a VPN. It costs you less than $3 a month. There's a link below here. When you do that, you also support the channel. Also, once you got the VPN, get this thing called Threat Protect because there's a lot of malicious sites in crypto. And sometimes they'll ask you to connect a wallet. And when you do, you'll just get all your money drained out. And I know you guys are airdrop farming and I know you guys are doing all of that. But please, Make sure that you don't lose your money in this bull market. And the simplest way to do it for $3 a month is just to get yourself a VPN. Go on, get it. I'll wait for you. There is a link below. Come on. Do it. I know you want to do it. Just do it. All right, let's get the show on the road, guys. Let's get the show on the road, guys. So the bull market has caught a lot of us by surprise. And I wonder if it's caught our next guest by surprise. Uh, in fact, let's ask him immediately. Sue, were you caught by surprise to see Bitcoin trading like Bitcoin's trading now? If I would have said to you five months ago that Bitcoin's going to be at like 62,850 at the end of Feb, would, would you have put that, would you have placed that bet? No, definitely a surprise. I thought that, you know, ETF flows would have been good, but I didn't think it would be this good. Uh, I think the real question now is like, do we get a, 
you know, like a March 2020 style flush out or not? Because if we don't, then it's really max pain for people who are not deployed because it's no way in, essentially, right? This, so a lot of people have been so fast. A lot of people have been speaking about this left translated cycle. I don't know if you if you've seen uh, these tweets. I have, but uh, a lot of people are talking about this left translated cycle. In this left translated cycle, they're kind of equating the ETH ETF sorry the ETF approval to potentially what the halving was. It, do you think this left translated cycle is a real thing, or do you think that this is just ETF inflows? We've never seen this amount of money flowing into Bitcoin, and we just have to now live with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a believer in left translated. I actually think it's more of a, I mean, I tweeted about this today, but I think it's more of a reactionary, like anti super cycle kind of thing where it's like, I don't want to, you know, you know, the cycle's going to be over really fast, guys. So so you don't have much time left. It, it's a bit of like a capo style meme, I feel. Um, but I think, you know, ETF flow, we don't know what happens if ETF flows reverse, but uh, they may not reverse if it's like gold ETF, right? Like gold ETF, when it when it first came out, people just buy it and they don't think about it again. I mean, especially a lot of Americans, <clears throat> they, they have to pay short-term capital gains tax if they sell that anyways. So most don't go for the quick scalps like, you know, we might do in crypto itself because it's not, it's not something that people do as a behavior. So, you know, that being the case, that locks up a lot of supply, I think. Um, so the supply, so the supply, so the ETH ETF definitely uh, pushing the supply. What do you think of the the length of the cycle? So a lot of people are saying expedited cycle. They, 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 we did say uh, left translated cycle, but I mean the normal cycle is that the all time high happens. I don't know four or five hundred days after the the halving. Like, yeah. do you believe in the halving cycle? Do you believe that we're in that kind of cycle? I think halving cycle is important. I think though that. It will break eventually, right? Like you've seen it break on some alts that have havings. For instance, Litecoin having some people did position into and it didn't do anything because no one cares about Litecoin. Uh, uh, you know, uh, there, there's potential for the having to matter less and less over time. Uh, but especially if it starts to not work uh, one time. But I do think that we're definitely nowhere near, let's say, the end of a cycle because you know, until you break all-time highs, retail doesn't come back in, right? Uh, until you really break those convincingly. I mean, mainstream media is only now, you know, with a 60K break, they're picking it up now and they're saying, wait, it's back again. We, we thought it was dead. We thought it was all frauds and scams. So I think um, uh, it'll be, you know, I had this tweet in the last week, which is like, you'll know this real bull market when people that you didn't think were in crypto make more money than you in crypto. Uh, that's when you know it's like real bull market. So do you think that, I mean, Coinbase going down this week, do you think that was just like a, a warm-up test run for the actual bull market? Because it, it, it kind of did feel, yeah, for, we, for us that have been here for multiple cycles, like it, it, it was the first day to me that felt like a real crypto bull market. It was at yeah. first like everyone was euphoric, everyone was trying to ape in, the exchanges started to go down, the liquidation started to happen. It was the first time that I felt like I was in the 2017 type bull market. Um, but you think that the Definitely. real bull market only starts when, when the all-time high gets broken? I think that's, if you look at proper sentiment and FOMO from, let's say, the man on the street, that, that comes with an all-time high break. It also comes with, let's say, uh, generally speaking, like a meme coin pump, a meme coin revival, because meme coins are something that the man on the street can relate to, uh, whether it's Dogecoin or you know whether it's other uh animal coins it's something that it's something that uh they can say okay there's a chance now that i can just 
buy the animal coin that my friend shows me and be up 100x, right? That that to him is exciting. That to her is exciting. Uh, and it's fun. So I think that, you know, thus far, I think it's more been a crypto native cycle. Uh, you know, you've got like restaking narratives on Ethereum. You've got Solana. I mean, Solana has had more retail, I think for sure, has had its meme coin cycle earlier. Uh, but if you look at Ethereum ERC-20 flow, it's pretty it's pretty dry. I mean, Pepe has had had a good 24 hours, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, you're not seeing the the big moves yet, right? Like to give an example, it's like Shiba Inu for the first year versus like the late stage of it is very different. And so the coins that would be Shiba Inu of next cycle, they're behaving very quietly now. So, so you're saying we're very early in this cycle. Question is, how would you play it now? Like right now, would you be deployed? Would you be fully deployed now? Would you be 50% deployed? How would you be playing the cycle right now? I think uh, at these prices, you can be somewhere like two thirds deployed, I think. The, the, I mean, the one problem I think is that the leverage in the space is really high right now. It reminds me a lot of March 2020 in that sense, which is that, yes, the halving is coming and yes, you know, it's good, but uh, the funding is out of control. I mean, we're, at, we're at well over 100% funding on many different alts. And uh, it's, you know, I mean, maybe this time is different. I mean, I, I I think it's something where the the uh, the blow off top for these alts and then the comma, you know, the the uh, the uh, re the reset, it can be a at a level still higher than where you thought it should be. So that's the caveat with funding resets, right? Like ETH now, if it goes to four K and then resets to three point three K, you still can't buy in if you sold it at like two and a half K, right, or three K. So that would be kind of like the max pain for everyone, right? And I think we saw a bit of that two days ago where you know, Ethereum is, you know, I think there's like 1.5 billion of OI reset of liquidations, but, you know, the market only fell like 3K on Bitcoin uh, from the top. And it's like, how do people manage to get liquidated when it's going up only, right? But, you know, it's it's a crazy market now. I think all-time high volumes were hit on Binance perps. Yes. Uh, absolutely insane. Like, yeah, so. So, I mean, uh, from experience, we know that once the parabolic part of the altcoin season starts it, it looks something like this and as you say once you get into this section over here there's like kind of no way in um it looks like we're pretty much in in that that area so if you were not 100 percent deployed wh what would you be waiting for on the other would you be waiting for a dip kind of like lower than like retra retrace or yeah you could look for a dip like that uh you're also earning let's say over 150 percent funding if you let's say just do a funding trade now on it, whether that's you know, uh, like you know, you're farming stables or you just actually buy the coins, sell the perp, but yeah, you're, you're getting paid a lot to wait right now. So, there's oftentimes if you're getting paid to wait by the market, sometimes the market will then give you the reset that you need. Um, like that was actually the thing that Three Arrows was really good at in March 2020 was that essentially that we had been very patient then, and then as a result, had the opportunity. Uh, this time. Um, I do think with the ETF flows, there is more of a caveat because it could be that everyone wins, right? Because the spot flows come in and even though people are paying this high funding, the spot flow is still higher. And unlike last cycle, this cycle, the exchanges are not trading against customers as much, right? Like FTX was notorious for trading against customers. And, you know, after the liquidation, they would write a thread about how they just liquidated everybody. Uh, you know, this cycle that that doesn't really exist. You know, Binance is kind of more regulated now as well, or just more more tame. Also, so, so you kind of 
you know, when the price is going up and the funding is very high, there's no incentive for any of the exchanges to nuke it, right? To, to collect because in the past there was, because they would internalize those cells. So you're buying versus them. And then they're like, okay, when do we like on a Sunday morning, like people going to wake up and they're going to be, you know, that's the way they're going to think. Right. But now there's like, okay, as long as they're paying the funding, you know, we're short perps, long spot, we don't care. So that's a very different dynamic, I think. And that's why you haven't seen the kind of really aggressive resets uh, that you saw last cycle, in, in part because no one gets paid on those anymore. Yeah, so I think that, that I, I think certainly that that market dynamic that market dynamic has changed. Also, I think you said it quite correctly. There seems to be like this constant pipe of inflows, and I think what we need to see is what happens when the market turns, because these guys are experiencing their first bull market, and I think that when the when they experience their first I don't know thirty percent drawdown. Let's see how the ETFs react to a 30% drawdown. We haven't, we, haven't, we haven't seen that game yet. And I think that that's going yes, to be quite telling. Um, I tweeted something the other day around alts. And I wonder if you, if you share the same sentiment. I tweeted something which said that the, the Bitcoin is now being funded. Bitcoin is now being uh, uh, powered by the ETF and you know, the inst- what we call the institutional money. That money has to flow into altcoins, and the altcoins currently are being powered by, by people like us, right? Because then they're not buying altcoins. So it's almost like the alt season is going to be funded by Wall Street. It's almost like Wall Street's going to inject money into Bitcoin. We're going to offload some of our Bitcoin, and we're going to take that money and kind of put that money into altcoins. And it's like, it almost feels like this pipe is going to get the, you know, into Bitcoin, and then that's going to land up flowing into altcoins. But it hasn't started happening aggressively yet. I mean, do you agree with that thesis? I agree with the thesis, and I think it's always happened that way. But all seasons generally, I mean, t- in terms of like a proper multiples on many coins, all seasons, uh, you know, for people who've been through many cycles, they understand that it's actually a shorter period of time than you would expect, but the moves are very aggressive in that period. A good example of this is XRP, right? In December 2017, we're talking about five cents to $3 in about 50 days. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly right, but I think it's, it's you know, we're talking about like 40x, 50x moves and in 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 a month or two i think that um there's there there's that element where when people finally think alts can never go up again versus bitcoin uh that's when they move so usually what tends to happen in that is that people over position in alts in the beginning of a cycle because they think well alts go up faster than bitcoin so i have a levered bitcoin position by owning further down the risk curve and they realize that in the beginning you know for it to happen optimism must come back to the Bitcoin market, Ether market itself. And so then they're like, oh, crap, I'm owning these coins that no one's buying or, you know, it's generally going sideways on. Uh, and so they capitulate, they capitulate. And, and then eventually that that then becomes, it forms that alt bottom. And then the ricochet off the bottom of alts versus Bitcoin is extremely aggressive because the, the supply runs out, right? And um Generally, alts like to see other alts go up too. There's kind of a reflexivity pricing there where it's like alts don't usually, unless you have a very good narrative on the alt and so on, they they kind of don't like to, you know, waste their bullet or waste their chance p- pumping when like in a high Bitcoin Ether dominance scenario because it's like, you know, what are the odds you're just going to get sold into for people trying to, you know, get back their Bitcoin, right? Whereas, you know, when Bitcoin stalls at a price, Ether stalls at a price, especially when Ether stalls at a price, then people start going and going out the risk curve because they can say, okay, you know, I don't think the bull market's over at the same time. I'm ready to play because I don't think Ether has that upside anymore. So, you know, we could see that at Ether 4K or 5K. We could see that at, you know, Bitcoin. Actually, we don't know where we'll see that out on Bitcoin because I uh-huh. think 
you know, if it breaks all-time highs in the next few weeks, uh, maybe, maybe closer to 80K, 100K. How would you be positioned now? Would you be positioned in Bitcoin? Would you be positioned in ETH in anticipation of the ETH ETF trade? Would you be going lower down the risk curve? Would you be going into the layer ones? Let's talk a little bit about it. Like, let's go down. Let's go. How would you be positioned? Which narratives would you be positioned in? Because I mean, I, I mean, sure. just for, for those that don't know your history, you guys built an incredible, huge portfolio at, at three arrows in, in the last cycle. I think you guys started, what was, what was the starting capital or what was the starting position there? Starting capital, just a few million dollars, yeah. And what was the so. peak value of the portfolio, the peak equity value of the portfolio? A few billion, yeah, a few billion. Millions to billions, basically. And you, and you did that You did that through investing in the right narratives, the most incredible deal flow, a whole lot of leverage. We'll talk a little bit about what happened and how, what went wrong a bit later, but I'm, I'm keen to, to know, like in this cycle, how would you play this cycle now? Uh, you mean in general, or you mean like uh, how should the audience play it? If you were if 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 you were trying to rebuild a three arrows capital right now from a few million to a few billion, where would you position your where would you position your bet sure, now? Would sure, you be sure. would you be in leveraged Bitcoin? I, would you be in leveraged ETH? Would you go lower down the risk curve and go into layer ones? I think you can see it broadly in a few different kind of opportunity sets right? like one is airdrops i think are incredible opportunity this season uh uh if you put in the work right um because not all of these airdrops are linear many of them are non-linear so if you get in the weeds and you do your work you can make huge multiples on small capital and we're talking about like you know from tens of thousands into millions possibly to type things um i think that's something to look at if you can do the work I think that on uh, trading itself, you know, I think Solana uh, has been a really impressive move, and I and I think that even with the estate selling, you know, the the prices just doesn't care, and and I think part of the reason for that too is uh, is kind of a deeper idea, which is that when Alameda and FTX own so much FTX uh, own so much soul, it's bearish for the price in some sense because it's less distributed. When that supply gets distributed it becomes more bullish. Similar as what we saw with Ethereum in 2018, which was held by all these big ICOs, and then the ICOs capitulated the bottom, and then you know it was owned by the masses, right? So that's kind of happened in Solana. And then I think with the Solana estate sales, you know, on the one hand, people are saying, okay, you know, if the estate's having to sell at 30% discounts, isn't that bearish because people will sell spot by, but I think that's like a mid-curve view actually, because I think, you know, uh, a lot of the people who are gonna be buying this Loxol First of all, they cannot sell perps against it because they would have to margin it and they can't use their lock soul to margin it. Second of all, uh, they may just want to be bullish and they'd be like, I'm getting an extra pickup from that discount. So this will be how I express my view because, uh, you know, uh, trapped by money, big money, they love a discount. Everyone loves a good deal. So the odds that this soul actually needs to get sold in the market is very, very low. And also you can't buy this on leverage. So you have to buy it with spot. So actually... I see it kind of as a bullish thing where, you know, the soul is getting distributed into relatively strong hands. This will get distributed at some point, but nowhere near, you know, it's a linear vest on these things. So I think that uh, the, I personally don't think the Solana versus Ether top is in. Uh, I think that we will see a higher price there do you believe, at some point in the cycle. Do you believe that Sol is going to be the alternative layer one and maybe not even the alternative layer one, maybe it could even be the main layer one because I, I'll tell you my thesis. I look at Ethereum and I think Ethereum was great last cycle. 
But the reality is, I don't really see a, a world where ETH can sustain its number one position. Because other than the fact that it has TVL, and it has a whole lot of investment in layer twos, and now the whole restaking narrative, and maybe that's enough. And that's, that's what, where I want to hear your view. I kind of think that if I was a dev, and I was faced with a choice to build a consumer application, I would go, well, hold on. If I go to ETH, I'm, I'm, I can't do anything on ETH, so I'm only going to go to a layer two. If I go to Arbitrum, no. I can't really talk to Optimism, which is not going to talk to Matic. Um, so I land up in spaghetti layer twos. Or I can just build it on Solana. I can build it on a monolithic chain. I can pay very, very, very few fees. I can settle everything on chain and every app can talk to every other app. And I'm kind of thinking from a dev point of view, if I'm not looking for TVL and I'm not looking for, for the restaking narrative, then why would I build on ETH? I think it comes down also though to what do we think blockchains are good for, right? Because I think if you look at DeFi, I think EVM, Ethereum, it, it'll still win DeFi for the most part because I think, you know, it doesn't have chain shutdowns. It doesn't have, uh, you know, it's generally safer. So when you have big amounts of money, let's say something more resembling a banking system, uh, I think Ethereum does perform that function really well, even though it may be more expensive than using your bank quite often. Uh, it's still it's still something that uh, you can count on reliably. And, and so I think that for, you know, bigger users for, let's say, you know, proper uh, stuff that you may be only doing an action once a week or once a month, uh, I think Ethereum still has that, has that mode. But, but I agree for, for new users you, and for new devs, it's going to be challenging to, let's say, build a consumer app on layer one. That's no, that's for sure. I think on layer two, though, on like an arbitrum and optimism, I think, yeah, that, that can happen. I think OP forks are an easy way to do your own chain as well. So I think, you know, that that's all true. I think Ethereum's value proposition this time is from is, is more similar to Bitcoin this time, which is that it's a highly liquid store of value coin, deflationary. Um, you know, you have some activity, but not too much activity that you worry about the chain going down. And then you're kind of you're kind of just vibing, right? I think that's what it is. And then Solana obviously is faster flying. You got you know huge amounts of wallet downloads per day. A lot of meme coins going up and down and rugging in like a single you know half hour session. But um, you know it's it's a different. It's it's more on the edge. I think it's more populist for sure as well. So would you put think, more money? Uh, would you, would you put more money into ETH or more money into Sol? If you were investing your own money, building your own portfolio, would you put more money into ETH or more money into Sol? I think you still need half your portfolio on ETH because I think that the risk profile of Sol is different from the risk profile of ETH. I think that well, Solana, while it may fly faster, it still uh, has risks that Ethereum doesn't have, in my opinion. So I think just from a portfolio uh, risk management perspective, you, you don't, I don't think it can be all in Sol. Uh, at the same time, I, I think that, um, I, I think that, if you have only Bitcoin and Ether, I think you will tend to underperform a lot this cycle. Uh, just because I think that, especially spot only, I think, you know, spot only, I think, it, you know, uh, you're looking at four X's, three X's, I think. So. And in terms of the layer one race, I mean, so we've got Sol as seems to be the front runner in the race. How do you see the layer one race playing out? I mean, do you see these new, these new shiny objects, these, uh, say blockchains and Sui and Aptos and whatever they are, do you see, do you see another layer one catching up to Sol? Do you, I mean, and, and if yes, like who are the, 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 uh, the contestants? 
I mean, I think Sway and Aptos are are definitely interesting. I think that um, I think that it it remains to be seen, though. Like a lot of these things come down to timing and ecosystem and biz dev. Uh, it's stuff that you can't really control. I think it's safe to buy a basket of these. I think uh, that's not a bad play. Um, uh, just make sure you stake them and get the yields that you need because sometimes the, the, the airdrops from these things can be insane in a real bull market because all the projects that are on these chains will give airdrops to try to get attention from the stakers of it. So, you know, uh, if you are going to buy them, try to figure out how to stake them yourself so that you, you get that, uh, if you put it on exchange, you, you won't get these half the time. Um, you know, I think cosmos, cycle can be interesting as well. I've talked about it a few times on other podcasts, but I think, um, I think that, Generally speaking, the further out the risk curve you go the cycle, uh, the more you will be rewarded, but you have to size it correctly. And that's the same with all cycles, right? Last cycle is the same thing where, you know, you if you go out even one level out the risk curve, like from Bitcoin to Ether, you were heavily rewarded, right? And if you didn't go out one level out, you really, you know, you, you made a 3x to 3x from cycle to cycle, from t- from high to high, right? So, yeah. Um. And, and in terms of, of you're calling it the Cosmos cycle, the Cosmos narrative, any specific uh, plays in the Cosmos ecosystem? Because it's quite difficult to get an entry into Cosmos as a blanket place, not like Bitcoin or ETH or Sol. Um, how, how, any, any specific bets on the Cosmos cycle? Uh, I think the DEX is on there are okay. I think, um, I think that... Uh... Uh, I don't want to show too many specific coins because just, uh, you know, I, I think broadly speaking, I think the ecosystem is, is good. I think that uh, I think that good to pay attention to. Uh, I think in general, the, the user experience is getting better. It's still not quite where it needs to be, but I would say user experience for new people. I think Solana is still the best, but I think that Cosmos actually is better than, let's say, Ethereum layer one already, just oh, because... Yeah. No doubt. You, know, you, can, you can swap for you can swap for one cent, right? You can you can send money for one cent, two cents. So I think that you know uh, people often complain about Cosmos UI UX, but it does need to be pointed out that you know Doquan managed to get a lot of people to install a lot of Kepler wallets, right? So uh, yeah. and and so that was last cycle. So this cycle that could happen again. Uh, so I think I think that um, should never be counted out, basically. Talk to me about other narratives that you're bullish on. I mean, I think one of the narratives that I've been looking at is AI. And, you know, on the one hand, I want mm. to ride the AI wave and I want to ride the momentum because I see all the mainstream media headlines. And every time the mainstream media headlines run, so does the whole AI narrative. But then when I deep dive into the individual tokens and into the individual projects, I kind of look at these projects and I'm going, wow, like, seriously? Can I hold this into the next cycle? I don't, I, I'm not comfortable holding them into the next cycle. So, like walk me through the do you, is it is there a crypto AI narrative? Let, let's start there. There definitely is a long run use case for AI uh, in crypto, right? Because you have this idea that uh, you know LLMs uh, are they going to run? Uh, you know, uh, you know you have nation gated LLMs. You also will have sovereign LLMs, meaning that you know people deploy them without sensors and so on and and they'll also be able to do, do other stuff and also the cost of uh, compute. So I think that that's all there. I think that, um, you know, BitSensor, I think is genuinely interesting, their approach. 
Uh, I still need to learn a lot more. Uh, I think that I think that the hype around it actually feels a bit like 2017 to me. Actually, like it, it feels like like we're getting proper vaporware, you know, kind of stuff happening in in that space. Uh, whereas I think last cycle there was less pure vaporware. I feel because it was like right after I, I, ICOs, you couldn't really say I'm AI. Here's the white paper, and then we pump on the white paper, right? Whereas I feel like we're we're getting white paper pumps again on 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 an AI. On AI. Stuff. So yeah. I don't actually on um, yeah. So I don't think that's actually that sustainable because I because I think that the 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 replication speed is too quick, right? And the main use case is to is to and how do you get that traction to go through? But but I think that um, you know, Worldcoin is is a super interesting token, very misunderstood. But I think it's made, it's basically a Sam Altman personal token, right? Like a social token, because you know he doesn't own equity in Open AI, and he this is his thing, right? So you know, I I think that uh, uh, the Worldcoin's ability to be an AI beta play has been uh, has been good. But uh, I mean, I the fully liquid as well. The fully diluted valuation. FTV is very high. The FTV is ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I actually, I, I mean, I took a short and mm. I closed it because I took a short because I really think that the world coin fully diluted valuation is crazy. I closed it because then I remembered that I was actually, I was actually betting against a very low float uh, with Sam Altman. Yeah. 76 billion fully diluted. I mean, I don't know. Can you, isn't that more than AI's valuation, uh, open AI's valuation? Yeah, but I mean, I think the circ will stay low, right? Because I think Sam controls most of it. So, in general, in crypto, there's this concept of if there's a low float, then essentially you should treat the coins that are, uh, you know, held by the team or held by the founder almost to be non-issued. It's like shares that you could issue in the future, but you haven't issued. Unissued share uh, capital. Unissued share capital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and especially in his case. You know his incentives are a bit similar to an SBFs, right? In a good way, which is to say that if the valuation of the market cap of the coin is high, that is good for his brand. It's good for him. So, in other words, he does not value the incremental dollar he can get from dumping it on his community. He values the price of it being high for the prestige that it brings him in 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 circles, right? So that's. A, Right. I mean, it's the same for Sam, right? For 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 FTT, right? When FTT is high, then y'all want to be his friend and then trade on his exchange. When it's low, you don't. So he doesn't benefit from selling against it. He wants to borrow against it to buy more, right? That's the same mentality, I think. In, in so, all right. So AI AI is another narrative. What other narratives are you are you calling as as hot narratives? I mean, I know there's many others that are going. There's the the decentralized perpetual exchanges. There there there's the restaking. That I think will be very big. Decentralized perps, I think, will be very, very big. I think you're seeing that already in the last few weeks where just like the growth is really high on AVO, on Hyperliquid, this kind of stuff. Uh, and they don't even have tokens yet. It's just point systems. Uh, remains to be seen how much volume there'll be after the points end and it's like real tokens or just real exchange. But I think it'll be good because I think, you know, the experience is very similar to CeFi. Uh, and I think that the ease of use is is there i think you know they both use arbitrum which is easy to get your money on and off it's not it's not too difficult you can deposit usdc from from c5 so i think that the overall user experience on d5 perp uh you know 
the, the main use case is that it's non-KYC, right? If it's non-KYC, that opens up the Pandora's box for people to play around. I think that, 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 that that's always been the case for, for that kind of activity. Um, I think that, uh, you know, restaking is a, is a big narrative. I think there's major risks, though. Long run, I think short run is fine. Short, mid run, I, I mean, I think it's fine. I, I don't want to say it too confidently. But, you know, I did have uh, lunch with this big ETH whale the other day. You know, and he's like, I'm comfortable putting maximum 2% of my ETH in Eigenlayer. Uh, that's what he said. So, you know, so that, let's, that's let's, kind of how people think about it. Let, let's talk about <clears throat> let's talk about restaking. Because, I mean, Chris Berniski said, he said, uh, while we're still relatively early in the cycle, sneaky leverage always finds a new form. In 2017, it was ICOs. 2021, it was lending desks. In 2025, it could be the rampant uh, restaking. I mean, do you think that restaking is the leverage of our cycle? And if it is, like, can it not take down the whole market with it? Like, can you imagine an eigenlayer gets, I don't know, contract gets compromised or something? I mean, I, I don't even want to think what happens yeah. to the ecosystem if that happens. Yeah, I think that that's a major risk. I think it's like, it's a bit like money Jenga, right? Where there's so many dependencies and now we're creating the third layer of the restake or the fourth layer of the restake. Uh, as a product called Gearbox, which, uh, you know, now it's offering you 30% yield on passive ETH because they're going to then use it and put it into, you know, various restaking protocols. And then, so that, that creates a, it creates the illusion of free money machine, right? Because it's like, where's all this money coming from? But uh, if we don't ask, then it's like just yield. It's just yield everywhere. But we all have learned from last cycle that whenever there's yield everywhere, it takes just three days, five days for that to not be the case. So uh, I think it's a little bit concerning that we haven't learned anything. But, you know, from a zoomed out perspective, it's difficult to learn things, right? Like, because the participants are different each time as well. The mechanisms are different each time as well. So I think uh, individual people can learn things, but people as a whole cannot learn things, right? But that's kind of a, that's one of the things that uh, like uh, one of the traders on CT used to say. And that's why, you know, the tops on coins form in very similar ways throughout, you know, uh, each cycle. And and yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just what it is. So I think that restaking definitely right now is still early because uh, you haven't really had that, uh, that, that kind of thing. I think, I think when, when we get like Athena actually, I think is a super interesting project because I think it's both very innovative and can be very, very risky as well because, you know, and I think he's, he's talks about how, you know, it's not a stable coin, but it's also marketed as a stable coin because it's USDE. Now this is actually the same. So I see it as like, if you're, if you're very dumb, you think, Oh, this is just like Luna is going to blow up. If you're smarter, you think this is absolutely nothing like Luna is super safe. But, but then if you're like super smart, you think this is like Luna again. It's one of those things because the ways it's like, because the way it's like Luna is that uh, when the ether is bought, right. Uh, when the clients are buying ether uh, perps, the protocol is buying ether spot and selling futures It's selling mm. per perps to the clients. So the protocol is not taking on the price risk. The client has the price risk. Okay. Uh, in the case of the LFG and Luna, uh, the protocol takes on, so the, the protocol is the client because it's buying the Bitcoin, right? So, but the mechanisms otherwise are all the same in the sense that 
if the price gaps down and it has too much ether in it, like let's just create a toy example, like $20 billion of ether uh, perps are somehow in, in this thing, right? And each exchange has their own, you know, insurance funds, but they're all, the insurance funds are not enough, right? Uh, especially after the Binance fines that have been paid, like no, no exchange has the insurance fund to pay out anything if we get a truly cataclysmic event on restaking, right? So let's imagine you get that, uh, Ether gaps down through the bankruptcy price. No one has any stables, right? Because they actually have Ether long plus a short to clients that bought with Ether. So you get more coins, but the coins are worth much less in dollars. Now, when that happens, if this USDE was used as collateral in other places, everything then collapses. Everything right? collapses. Then, 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 then it's uh, yeah. So, and and so then the question is: so Galois had a really good thread about this, which is say. Right now, everything looks safe, but then we're going to innovate. And by innovate, meaning we're going to play with it a little bit. Right? So through that process of innovation, when do we get too innovative and then whoosh, right? So, so that, that it will be interesting to watch, I think. So, okay. So, I mean, speaking of leverage, I mean, that, that might be the leverage of the new cycle, but let's quickly talk about leverage. Um, I guess leverage was part of the reason that uh, Three Arrows Capital collapsed. Um, it was, it was in the period of the massive, massive, massive leverage unwind. Um, tell me what happened. Tell me, tell me what happened. You guys were the highest flying, uh, smartest investors in the space. I mean, you had the best portfolio. Even, even now, when I look at your portfolio at the liquidator, I, I wish I could go to the liquidator. I wish I could have gone to liquidator in the bear market and made him an offer to just offload the entire portfolio. Cause even in today's, even in today's world, that portfolio looks like an incredible, incredible portfolio. Tell me, tell me the story of like what happened. Like just walk, walk the guys through what happened. You guys built a very small portfolio into a massive portfolio, into a behemoth. And then what happened? I think it was a number of uh, factors coming together. I think uh, probably the biggest was that uh, we didn't anticipate the, the speed of credit withdrawal uh, once Luna collapsed. Like we didn't actually have UST but we had a lot of beta to the market. We had Ether and Bitcoin and 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 later ones and, and so on. Um, and that was a portfolio that you know we can post as collateral to lenders and then borrow against to do farming to do other things. Uh, and so, and that was always how it was, right? Like you know there would never be that supernatural growth without that. So uh, our early big trades were like you know ETHE which was, a, you know, put 100K Ether in an ETHE, which itself was 300% premium. So we essentially went from 20 mil to 200 mil when Ether was still $300, right? And so uh, this is always kind of, you know, we, we had this kind of complex portfolios since the beginning. Um, but I think liquidity really dry, dried up after Luna because there was a lot of uh, recalls on the lender side. So I think the capital base we thought we were dealing with was just very different than what it actually was because of those recalls as well. So I think like, um, you know, I think if I was older and wiser, I would have just had better lawyers at that time or even before and negotiated the terms better and said, you can't recall just because something happened. We, we needed to, you know, do something there. Um, and then I think we would have been, we would have been fine. And I think that my, my, uh, I mean, the, the, the biggest problem really is that since the age of like 24, when we started the firm, like anything we touched, it made money, you know, in the beginning, less fast, obviously, because it was not even in crypto, it was in foreign exchange. But 
things we touched made money, even when we were like having a bad year, it's like down 10% or something. So we just didn't really have that kind of, uh, like we didn't learn that humility, I guess, of saying, okay, there's going to be things that happen at some point that you don't see coming. Like, what is your plan when that happens? And can you make good decisions and, and get through that kind of a thing? Um, so, so, you know, I also really regret not working with creditors better to restructure in June. Cause there was a camp that said, guys, restructure, launch a token, do something like, let's figure it out. Anything's better than liquidation, right? Because liquidation, it just goes into a vortex. Uh, and you know, the next bull market will be fine again. But, and then, you know, there were other creditors that were a little bit more antagonistic, but I think what I realized now is that even the ones who are antagonistic, they just wanted us to give them a plan. Like they yes. wanted to hear a plan and say, guys, that's what they wanted. And any plan would have been better than no plan. And so I think, you know, we lack the courage to just be like, you know, this happened. Uh, we all lost a bunch of money together now, but here's a plan to make it back. And crypto is long and, you know, it's got full of cycles and, and, and kind of these stories. And, and I think that um, I think in some ways it was actually like our first cycle, right? Because even though I was, I've, I've been, you know, here and there in crypto for a long time, like we did, like we came into 2018 with very fresh eyes. And so, because we had stopped our FX business and said, we're going to do only crypto. So 2018, we were like, uh, seeing it as like, okay, well, ICOs are mainly a scam, but the innovation that comes out of it will be huge. So that was like a really nice thesis to come into. And then we were looking at other guys as the market went up saying, you know, you, you sold your coin, you know, you sold your phantom at a three X. Why did you do that? So then go hundred X. Why did you sell your avalanche? You know, these kind of things. And then later on, I'm like, well, now I understand why it's because they were down 95% in 2018. That's why they then sold on the three X on the way up. So I think I have now like a lot more empathy for everyone in crypto. Like, okay, I get why the old cyclers are the way they are. Like I get why, you know, th there's more uh, battle scars, right? Cause I think we hadn't earned those scars essentially. So, and I think it was similar for SBF and for Doquan, which is that you just had this kind of idea that, okay, you just, everything you touch, you win, you win they here, say, you win there, and you don't have as much planning. They say that you make money in, in your first cycle and in your second and third cycle is when you actually keep money. And I, I think for me, like I made a lot of money in 2017, but I kept none of it. I made a lot of money in 21 and I kept a little bit, but I lost a lot of it on Luna. And I'm hoping that now on my third cycle is when I'm actually going to get I'm actually going to get to keep money, but so let, let's go to your portfolio. So you, you have a, you have or had a, a serious, a serious, serious, serious portfolio. Um, World coins in it, and a whole lot of a really, really, really good projects. I believe that that are now in the hands of of the liquidator. When you look at this portfolio, it feels to me like the creditors could probably be made whole. I mean, like, am I am I right in thinking possible. that it's possible? It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, I actually think if you look at crypto in the past pretty much every estate is massively whole in dollars, right? Whether it's Gox or like, you know, like other ones. Quadriga is probably the exception because it didn't have much coins in it by then. But uh, I mean, it'll be a function of like where the liquidators ultimately sell the coins, you know, what they'll do, uh, what kind of price they can get for some of the equity in there. Like Deribit's doing really well. It's still 95% market share in options. Uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, FTX estate is now easily whole in dollars. Uh, I think that I believe Genesis estate is now whole in dollars. They're just debating now so who gets to keep the money above a dollar. So, so how do you feel? So how do you feel now knowing that that had you just held on to it for one more cycle, you would have been whole and then you would have been a multi-billionaire. I mean, that's like, is, is that not the, the, the calculation here? 
Yeah, but I mean, like, uh, I'm a pretty spiritual person. Like, I feel like everything happens for a reason. And I think that there's kind of a, like, if the portfolio does well, then my creditors can get a lot of money back. So that is like a really nice, you know, hopefully then they can uh, get some peace from that. I think that uh, it would have been far worse, for instance, if the portfolio goes to zero and there's nothing there. Then there's like, you know, so so I'd, I'm not a big believer in this kind of like, uh, it's not enough that I win, you must lose, or this kind of like, this kind mm. of thing. Like, I, I genuinely, like, I would cheer crypto on, like, without having any like that's not a problem for me like you know like andrea antonopoulos is a guy like that too right who was yeah. like you know such a great evangelist for the space and then he you know on, on one speech he said you know i don't own any uh like you know just for whatever reasons and we all and ended up we all ended up sending him money that day because we realized that he was like the biggest evangelist in the space um how do yeah, you exactly exactly how do you feel i mean you're back in business now we'll talk about that in a second how do you feel yeah. Back in business, how's the market treating you back in business? Like, I mean, I think there was a lot of flack on you guys when when Three Arrows Capital went down. You went from being heroes to, um, I guess, being hated by some people. Um, I guess you know. I, I mean, I was always one that stood up for you guys, and I kept saying, you know, when when the for me the best thing is to see the smartest smart entrepreneurs who have failed and have a point to prove because they know what it tastes like at the top and they want to get back there. And that's why I think, you know, that I always backed you guys. I was always a, a very vocal proponent saying, you know, you know, these guys can bounce back, just invest them. And I did, I did invest. We'll talk about that in a second, but how do you walk me through the personal feeling of being a multi-billionaire and then becoming, being a multi-billionaire, the main man, every tweet that you made was liked by thousands and thousands of people. Every token that you tweeted about went up to, to whatever, you're probably one of the most respected figures in the space. And you went from there to, I mean, can we call it buried? You know, is that a, is that a good analogy or, or, or dead but not buried? Walk me through the emotion. Like walk me through, how does a person recover from that? How does a person you deal know, with that? It's actually, it's actually super interesting that, I mean, uh, from my perspective, almost it was, it was the opposite where at the top, I felt a lot of pressure. And I felt like everyone at that time was fighting three arrows for being dumping on people or like, uh, you know, like uh, creating super cycle narrative to create exit liquidity. So as as kind of unbelievable as it sounds to people when I tell them this, like I genuinely perceive less hate now than then. Uh, and, and I think that that's such a difficult thing for people to really understand. But it's because like when you're at the top, everyone wants something from you. You know what I mean? And everyone is. And then you're like, uh you, the way you perceive kind of uh, reality becomes like, okay. Uh, and that's why I ended up getting into all these Twitter fights at the time. Cause like, you know, this person may have like, you know, insulted me in some way or this, that. And then like, you know, you get fights in with your reply guys and you, and you, and you do this and that. And then, you know, you zoom out and you're like, wait a second. This is like, you know, if you're, if you're that big of a character, like you're going to have haters. It's not possible to not have haters just by numbers. Right. Uh, and so you can't let yourself be defined by that number. But but so, you had haters. So but you also as, had. As, but you also had. You, also, you had haters. But you also had huge admirers. You had people that wanted to be like you. People that wanted to be around you. Yeah. And, sure. And, sure. But just from a perception perspective, like I didn't actually feel it. You know, it's maybe it's because of a COVID thing as well. Because you know we had our entire growth during COVID, so it's almost like a game if you can imagine it, right? Like we we basically grew from March, 2020 when we in Singapore, it was like a prop, not full lockdown, but it was like pretty locked down. Right. So like 
you're basically like just playing the game of crypto in your room. Like we never went to the office. Like you just do it from home. Like you're just playing the game, and you get a high score in the game, and then it just never became that. You, you get you get what I'm saying, right? Like it never became like I was this respected figure everywhere. Like it didn't feel I mean, it just, like that it just, in the same it just, way. It dawned on me that you took a multi-million dollar portfolio and you turned it into a billion dollar portfolio playing a video game called crypto. I mean, that's literally what you were doing. Because if you weren't flying to the US that's to negotiate of, credit terms, and if you weren't... I had never met a single creditor. Yeah, exactly. I never met a single creditor in person and they've never met any, you know, it's, it's just the, I think COVID was this very interesting microcosm of like a flurry of activity, a flurry of digital activity. And, and, but... Yeah, it, it it was it was something very surreal about it. And so like after the blow up, uh, it was like a big mental reset for me. Uh, and I think that I think that what I realized is that, um, you know, we flew too high, too fast. We, we should have had more adults in the room. We, we should have had, you know, more uh, more humility, m- most importantly. And, and I think that I think that hopefully we have it now. And so I'm, I'm grateful for, for that experience as well, because I think that uh, I wish I could have learned it without needing the experience, but I don't know if I could have actually, uh, because you, you don't. each time I, I was rewarded. Yeah, you don't, you, yeah, don't. So. you don't learn anything from success. You learn, you learn arrogance, success breeds arrogance. And I know this because I was a very yeah. high flyer. And until I lost everything the first time around, I, I didn't learn anything. And, you know, and, and I, I must have almost, I've lost everything, not everything. I've lost everything once and I've lost a lot twice. I mean, I lost nine figures on, on, on Luna, which, which is very public. And, you know, for me, I must say that was, both of them were actually very pivotal turning points in my life, which actually turned out positive. That, that's my, my personal experience. Um, but I also know that it was very hard. It was very hard for me personally, because very, it's very hard, it was very hard for me to be the main character and then to not be the main character. That's quite a, a, bit of, a bitter pull to swallow, which is why I asked you how, how you handle it. And I think it's, I mean, I think the way that you handle it is a very, very different uh, viewpoint from my viewpoint. How does it feel operating again? I mean, you, you are operating. You, we'll talk about Ox.Fun in a second. Um, sure. I mean, I mean, do people still want to do business with you? Do you? Are you finding, are you, I mean, you were a magnet. You were, you know, the, you were the blue-eyed boys of the industry. Like, how does it feel now? How, how difficult is it to actually operate now? Uh well, it's definitely on hard mode, I would say, uh, now. But I but I like that, too. Like, when I play a video game, I always like it to play on the highest difficulty that it has. So I feel like now we're operating on, like, real hard mode. And I, and I, and I think it's beautiful, too, because, I, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, this life is, is, is impermanent. And I think that the, the, the chances we get to really show our mettle are are a great way to, to, uh, challenge ourselves. And, and so I think that, um, you know, we still have had tremendous supporters, like, you know, both yourself, but many, many people, you know? So I think that that's also the beauty of the internet, which is that, you know, the goal on the internet is not to please everyone on the internet. The goal is to find your community, find your call to fuel even, or find your friends and just, and just vibe and just do stuff. Right. And that's kind of what we're doing here. And it's a nice change of pace too, because I think trading, you know, I would say we got a little bit too into every, I mean, at some point we did every layer one, every perp decks, every like Ave compound, like clone, like you just do every, you just how do every you, vertical. It becomes a bit. How did you manage to get right. into all, all of those rounds? How, I mean, you, you did everything. You did every single, every single sort after round you got in. How, I mean, what was the, 
Why did everyone the, want you in the round? I think what the first catalyst was just really pure is that we, you know, I tweeted a lot of like just good information, just, just like analysis. We started writing for Deribit Insights. At that time, they were paying me like just like 10K a month to write. And then, you know, I wrote a few articles for them. And then I was like, you know, I actually want to buy a stake in the business. I think it's a good business. And that, at that time, not many people actually wanted to invest in Deribit. So we let an SPV on it. Some of, you know, some, some OGs put in, but, but we were kind of laughed at for it. Cause it's like, why would you want to buy Deribit? You know, like it's not going to succeed. Like eventually there's going to be, you know, Binance is going to come with options soon or like FCS is going to come with options soon. And we're like, no, but I like these guys. I think they'll make it. So we, you know, we made a big bet on Deribit and it worked. Uh, and uh, I think we actually got a lot of street cred for that because they're like, you know, they, they did not a crowded round. They, they just said they liked it and they hit it and they helped it. And so after that, you know, DeFi, we were really active in and just, you know, because we were trading and farming these things, we understood the market, you know, at that time, it was almost like these kind of GPLP deals, right? Where if you LP, you also get the equity of the thing that you're LPing in. Yes. Uh, so DeFi creates these kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the elephant that's sucking its own dick kind of thing, yes. uh, to put it crassly. But, you know, that's how, you know, ourselves as well as Alameda, we were able to get in all these deals because they're like, well, if they invest, they'll put in TVL. So you can't turn them down. Once that goes on, then, you know, but, but I think we all took it too far. I think that that's the problem with actually mixing trading and investing. Cause for the first period of it, everyone was like, wow, you, you obviously the best investors are trading firms because they're able to like, you know, use the, you know, you use the tech and use everything. And I think the answer is yes and no. Right. Because traders often think in terms of EV too much and EV is not knowable. Like you don't actually know what the EV is of something. So it's almost like a pretension to like statistics that you can't actually do because it doesn't exist. So that's why, you know, like SPF was, was famous for this. He obsesses over like, what is the EV of this? What is the EV of that? At the end of the day, you're just like putting your finger in the air and making decisions. That, that, that's what you're doing, but you're calling it EV, right? So traders do this more so I think than proper venture guys, because proper venture guys, they'll be more like, you know, I, I, I really don't know, but I like the team and I like the founder and I'm putting it in. Okay. And I'm not going to run any numbers because I don't think these numbers matter anyways. I, just, I don't know how to calculate it. So I think that that's kind of what happened with a lot of uh, stuff actually, where, uh, you know, by an EV calc, you will end up doing every discounted layer one deal because you're like, well, the EV is the price is here. The EV is here, but you know, is it really, how do you know, right? What is the liquidity when the market falls? Like what is there a gap to, you know, a gap to zero on some of this stuff. So I think, uh, I, I think this cycle, you, you kind of don't have that trading plus investing thing anymore. And I think it's healthy, honestly, because I think this also can, it can support a mechanism that shouldn't be supported as well when you have this trading and investing uh, mm -hmm. combo. Because, yeah, because, uh, because a, a bad mechanism uh, may be obfuscated by the fact the trading firm is over supporting it uh, or, you know, so on and so forth, you know, I think that happened for sure in the case of Luna in 2021, where jump, you know, stealth bailout of it. Uh, but I think it happens in many other coins too, uh, to a lesser extent. So I think uh, separation of trading and investing is very healthy. And let's go back, to the, let's go back to the video on hard mode. So this is what you guys are up to. Tell me a little bit about Ox.fun. Um, you guys, you did start the, the open exchange. Um, what yeah. happened to Open Exchange? How did we get to Ox.fun? Sure. So Open Exchange at the time was uh, was the 
going to be like a claims exchange, basically. So it was, you're, you're going to be able to trade with your FTX claim, borrow against it, and then like buy perps. Uh, it was kind of a nice, it was kind of a nice idea. I felt because, you know, that was the month after FTX went down, and then uh, at first we we're going to call it GTX, and then of course we, we didn't go with the name because we just felt it was a bit too on, on the nose, as it were. But then Justin Sun has called it HTX now. He just skipped the G, went straight to H. But because uh, you guys, because you guys no, stole I, G, you got you guys took the G, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. In the meme space, we took the G. Uh, but I think the hope is that we're going to be FTX 2.0, really, because we're going to be like, okay, you can just port over your claim. You can start trading again as if you know nothing happened. Because obviously, the exchange is worth a, a lot if clients can use it and, and trade on it. It's worth much less if no one's doing anything. So, so we felt like, you know, that could be cool. Uh, and I think we got some traction, but there's a couple of things I learned in the process. One is that people are very willing to buy the coin on chain. They don't mind buying coins on chain because they're like, whatever, I can make 5X, 10X, whatever. But if I wanted to deposit like Tether to your exchange, like, whoa, like I'll think about that a bit longer. And if I deposit your claim, if it's a small claim, maybe I'll do it. But if the claim is a big percentage of the net worth, then it becomes much trickier of a proposition, right? Because you know to hand it over to a new exchange. So I think, I think uh, we underestimated that kind of uh, like I think there's uh, two businesses that are both very high trust businesses. Like one is exchange, and the second is stablecoin. And so I think that you know coming out of Three Arrows and then doing OpenX, I think it was like it was a very very uh, it, it gets the it gets the imagine it gets the imagination going. But I think you know, with the nuts and bolts, I think it ran into some issues. Um, and but, so, you know, how, it, it, how the, did that become? Pricing. How did that become Ox.Fun? So Ox.Fun is uh, it's basically it's in the name, but it's more fun. It's there's no claims here. That there's nothing. There's there's it's still trading, uh, and it has better liquidity than OpenX. Uh, but for now, uh, the entire collateral of the exchange is in Ox, meaning that Ox is the margin, Ox is the PNL, and Ox is the the collateral. So if you're an Ox holder on chain, you can move your Ox here. And we have these kind of gamified concepts where if you perform these missions per day, you're earning a big yield on Ox. So this is different from, let's say, a DYDX in the past, which is like, you know, you do volume and then you farm DYDX. Even if you own no DYDX, you can farm and dump it. Here, it's almost like something like an Olympus where you have to own the coin to get yield of the coin. Uh, so that, I think, creates kind of a rewarding of the tribe and rewarding of the herd. Uh, to then, you know, later on, we will accept all sorts of collat, but the system will still be margin in Ox. So when you, let's say you deposit Tether, uh, as, if you're not using your margin, nothing will happen. But if you, let's say, you know, put on positions, then you'll be, you know, margining in Ox. So if you lose money, you know, some of your Tether will be converted to Ox. So this creates also a bid for Ox because, you know, as collateral gets liquidated, that forms a bid on Ox. Uh, so I think, uh, I want to play this idea of like exchange token where everything possible goes toward the exchange token having the accrual. It's like right? a country. So, it's like a country where the the shares of the country equal the currency of the country, basically. And you do everything yes, in yes, the currency exactly, of the country, exactly. and uh, and and uh, yeah. and it, and that also equals the equity of the company. I mean, that that's what it's the country. That's what it <laughs> exactly. sounds like. To, exactly, exactly. So, so there will be. Uh, so right now, one hundred percent of fees are burned. Uh, but what will happen in a couple of weeks is that, that there will be a uh, fee vault where you can stake uh, to get those fees. And that'll be time weighted. Uh, and then we're playing this idea of a price weighted as well, where 
you will earn more percentage of the fees uh, based on if you lock for a price or not. And by locking by price, what I mean is that let's say we ran out aux is like one and one point two cents, right? Uh, if you lock, let, let's say for two cents, meaning that you will not sell this aux until it hits two cents. Uh, you cannot sell it because it's locked, but you will get a higher yield. You'll get a higher percentage of the fee pool uh, by doing so. So we're just going to play with these ideas and we're going to build it like this because I because I think it's more fun. And I think that longer run, we have a great cult. If nothing else, we formed a great cult in the last year. We have this great tech still and we've had this, uh, you know. And in terms of money, I mean, have you, have you guys got enough money to to make this happen? I mean, this is this is quite an ambitious you need to get a lot of you need to get a lot of market making. You need to get a lot of, of usage. You need to get a lot of, of TVL. Um, I mean, I know you guys raised money originally for the Ox Exchange, and then I saw an article that you guys raised yeah. something like four million. If it was, I don't know if it was four million or yeah. somewhere out there. So explain to me, like, how much money have you guys got to make this happen? There's enough. There's enough for sure. Okay. Uh, not an issue. Yeah. Okay. I think. Um, I, yeah. Very excited to build this out. I feel like I feel like we know a lot about exchanges. We also know a lot about trading, and I think that if we can add in the gamification, like what I realized is that there's so many people in the space that they've been trading perps now for several years, and they lose all their money, and so they lose 100. percent And I and I feel like in the beginning in 2018, when perps first started coming out, you were not supposed to trade with all of your money. You're supposed to have like 95 percent in cold storage, and then five percent of your Bitcoin you put on Bitmex and you play around. That was the zeitgeist at that time. I think FTX came out and then later, you know, lesser extent Binance, but they came out with this idea that, no, you put all your coins on the exchange because they give you portfolio margin. And then you can do all this stuff. You get yield, you get all this kind of stuff. That I actually think is not the right direction for the space as a whole, because I think it's not supposed to be neobanking. So here it's like, okay, you want to trade perps. You want to, you know, bet on this going up or that or down. You can do so here. But, you know, you do it with your coins that you bought. And if you lose money, you don't actually care if you lost Ox or Tether or Ether anyway. You, you lost the money. But here, if my coin is going up and stuff is going up, you're participating in the growth of the network at least, right? It's like if you, Genius. all the people that lost money on Bybit, you earn a piece of Bybit so you can when only, you lost m- money. You can only lose your Ox, but if you don't lose, you're adding value to your Ox while you're not losing. Have I got it right? So if you exactly. lose, if you, exactly. lose, you can exactly. only... So it's like, it's like if I were to liken it to a casino, you're walking into a casino, you're buying the chips up front. If other players are, whatever other players are winning or losing, if the, if the casino lands up making money, your stack continues to grow uh, just by yes. virtue of the fact that you're holding a stack. Uh, and if you lose, you can only lose exactly. the stack that you got on the table. Absolutely agree. And so the whole idea is minimal leakage to the outside. It keeps staying inside. Another concept here is like the referral fee game, right? Where, you know, last cycle... You know, the referral fees got to like 70, 80 percent. And, you know, but those people that that money is coming out of the ecosystem that that's just going to a guy's account and he's going to go and like sell it. And he's going to buy Lambos with it or something. Right. So here I'm trying to take that referral, you know, using our sort of overall cloud, I guess, or our reach. You know, if we can build that out and, you know, we have several hundred clients already on this exchange that, that are, you know, live, even though it's still like a soft launch where we don't push it too hard because we're still testing. But Basically, uh, you know, if the value that's paid out to the rest of the ecosystem is kept within the coin ecosystem itself, that's I think super powerful. So why has nobody uh, why, so, why has nobody else done this? Why why has nobody else why has nobody else done what you're saying? I mean, it sounds like 
I mean, it sounds like a, a genius concept. Why has nobody else built this? I thing? think it's, I think it's, I think it's a hybrid model. Like I think if you look at exchange space, right. Uh, each of them have come from different epochs, right? You have the Chinese exchange space, which was the Hobi, OKX, many others in that BDC China. And that game was won by no taker, no maker fee game, where if you have no taker and no maker fee, then there can be infinite volume because I mean, it's there's just, no fees. It's just, you there's no cost of trading. There's no, yeah. there's no fees. Yeah. And then when the Chinese government stopped that, you know, Hobi still did that for like six months longer to be like, win all the clients. And then they're like, okay, now we'll stop. And then, so, so that was how that game was won. But then when the ICO phase came, they weren't quite sure how to play it. So they were like, okay, so we're going to list these and then dump them, right? So we're going to get them and then dump them and then we make more revenues. So the game in 2017 was like, you get, you know, you get the coins, you dump them on the clients. Now the client's money is your money. And I think CZ was an absolute genius in saying, no, that's not the game. The game is wealth effect, right? The game is a wealth effect game. So we're, 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 we're going to use the cloud of the exchange. People want to harvest our clients. We don't allow the harvest. We instead negotiate a good deal for the client. And then through that, clients all sign up because like, holy crap, like here's where I can make real money. And, you know, I'm being protected here. I'm not getting dumped on. I'm actually getting given money to. So I think he invented the idea that exchanges are not for dumping on clients. It's for giving money to your clients so that they later spend, you know, they later pay you fees. So I think that's the evolution. And then after that, you know, all the second tier, it, it dribbled down. So everyone had their own launch pad and everyone had their own like, you know, uh, exchange token mechanisms there. I think now, though, what we're seeing in the in the deal cycle is that these deals just aren't, they don't exist. So if you're an exchange, you're like, what am I going to put on my launch pad? How is it going to pump? Nothing exists because what is that deal, right? Teams are smarter. Founders are smarter. That they can do their own, they can do their own IDOs. So you're not going to get those kind of deals anymore where it's like Elrond at a low price, Axie at a low price. That was like a 2019 like specialty, in my opinion. So now I think uh, the exchange space is, Looking at the other stuff, I think, you know, the DeFi perks with the points and with like vaults, I think that's both very interesting. I think social trading, copy trading vaults are are something that no one's done properly yet. So we'll have vaults soon. It's on the website now, still testing. Uh, but, uh, you know, here's like you can put your aux into your friend's vault and then he's trading for you essentially. And he can take a fee if you want or no fee. But like, you know, th this, this is kind of like what Hyperliquid already has with vaults, but I think it's it's more social because here it's like you're you're just you know you can put with many people at once you can like put your ox here your ox there and it just becomes something that is uh you know it's not it doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be like you know you're, you're putting all your money with him but you know it's fun if you if your friend made money oh you want to see what he made it on what did he buy right like that i think is cool and i think it's like an energy that uh like perp trading is supposed to be in my opinion gamified it's not actually supposed to be you put all your net worth on there, you borrow from your house, and then you put it all. That's not what it's supposed to be. So, so I think. Uh, how long until you launch this? How long until you, you said this is like a test version? How long until we launch a proper product? How long until we go to market? Uh, well, well, so this is already live. It's just like a soft launch. So I think uh, next few weeks will, will will be the big ramp up. I think, uh, and hopefully, um, hopefully things go well. You know, I think yesterday with the Coinbase down, I think half the DeFi perp exchanges also went down. But, you know, these things happen, but hopefully uh, uh, no hiccups too big. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting. Exciting. 
All right, so listen, Sue, I mean, I've loved this. I mean, I've loved that we've spoken markets and we've actually got into the personal side. And I'm, I love to see what you guys are doing. As you know, we've obviously, we're obviously big supporters. We've been telling our community to, to support it as well. Uh, we'll keep following the journey. I guess we'll catch up with you again when the, when the narrative launches. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, we have gone a little bit over time, but it's always great to speak to you. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. We'll check in thanks with you it. again pretty soon. Thank you, my friend. And okay. to you guys, the... To you guys, the Banter Fam, I will see you guys again on Monday. Let's hope this pump continues right through the weekend. I'll see you guys again on Monday. Until then, trade well, my friends.